This lecture is about interest group advocacy, and what this lecture is really going to do is to provide a kind of a map for what the rest of the term, or most of the rest of the term, is going to look like. Because what we're going to be studying in depth, uh, starting uh, with uh, the second week of the course, is how do organized interest groups, how do formal interest groups go about getting what they want, right? Formal interest groups have an articulated set of policy preferences that if those policy preferences were enacted would serve the interests of their members or at least would serve the interests as defined by the leadership of the formal interest group at that moment. Um, and again, I'll, we'll come back to this in week four a little bit, the internal struggle, but I want to reference back to the fact that even with a formal interest group with a name and a website and a membership and all this stuff, um, there still is an internal struggle. But for now, what I want us to assume is that a formal interest group has a set of policy preferences that it's acting towards. And how is it that a formal interest group actually gets those policies enacted? Uh, there are a number of different avenues. And as I say, we're going we're gonna to do a deep uh, dive into each of these avenues uh, or each of these channels. I sometimes say avenues, I sometimes say channel, I sometimes say method. Uh, I, my, my terminology gets a little uh, sort of uh, diverse on this front, but we're going to look at each of these different channels and see what it is that interest groups do to have success in each of these areas. So this uh, short lecture is going to be basically just a map of that. Um, there are both directly political activities of advocacy, which we can think of as sort of official capital P politics, and formal interest groups are absolutely involved in that. And then there's sort of either quasi or sort of only partially political activities that are really more about uh, kind of getting uh, interests uh, advanced in a more, in a broader or more sort of general way. And those feed into the directly political activities and they're, they're definitely not unimportant, um, but for the most part in this class, we're gonna look at the directly capital P political activities. Um, there's basically two domains in politics, in democratic politics. There's electoral politics and there's governance. And um, interest groups that want their preferred policy outcomes to be achieved um, have to work in both areas, um, or they get to work in both areas, I should say. Um, and the reason why they uh, get to, and really mostly also have to, is that governance, the people who, who govern, who make policy choices, who create policies, who enforce them, who administer the programs that uh, implement those policies, who evaluate them, who judge them, all of the people involved in governance, um, they are either directly or indirectly elected. So governance is, in a democratic society, is obviously a product of electoral politics. Now, it's not entirely the product of electoral politics. It's also the product of uh, um, politicking within the system of governance. Um, but if you're an interest group and you want to succeed at getting your policies made, and your policies don't get made typically at the ballot box, right? There are ballot measures, and so yes, electoral politics can sometimes directly get you to the finish line. Usually, in most cases, and certainly at the national level where we don't have national ballot measures, it's a two-step process. Electoral politics give us the people who run the government, and it's the people who run the government that give us the policies. Um, clearly, 
as an interest group, you're not neutral as to who the people in the government are. And that's why getting involved in electoral politics is really very important, right? Let's say, for example, that you want uh, um, a uh, Green New Deal. You want federal financial support and regulations that supports generating a sustainable energy production system and uh, um, uh, uh, high, big, major conservation efforts, etc., etc. Green New Deal, right? You, you, you probably at least know the generic term. You want that, right? That's in your interest, either because you believe it's right and good, it's your value-based interest, or because you, uh, that's, your material, that's your material interest, right? Like you, you, are, you are gonna start up a solar uh, panel company, or your material benefit is that the climate change won't destroy our grandchildren's ability to live on the earth. Um, whatever it is, you're part of an organization that wants the Green New Deal. Clearly, you want to be electing politicians who are supportive of that. So electoral politics is where you start. Um, now, here's the thing. Winning or losing in the electoral arena does not guarantee success or failure. Um, it doesn't guarantee success because let's say that you get a bunch of uh, elected officials who are supportive of the Green New Deal elected, right? Um, it's, it, even if you get a majority of them elected, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go to work immediately on your agenda because most elected officials have multiple interests and multiple agendas and multiple interest groups supporting them. So even if you succeed, and I'll put that in air quotes, uh, succeed in the electoral arena in getting a bunch of people elected who uh, uh, want what you want, you're then going to have to work through the system of governance as well to actually make sure that it gets done. Let's say that you lose in the electoral realm. Let's say that uh, the people who support the Green New Deal don't get elected. Does that mean that you have no hope of success? No. It means that you have a higher hill to climb in terms of getting those policies enacted, but uh, failure to, to win an electoral struggle doesn't mean that your policy preferences are dead. It, pr it probably means that you're not going to get it, but it doesn't mean that you're dead. And groups that support candidates who lose don't just throw up their hands and say, well, I guess that we're screwed and we'll just have to wait until the, the next election cycle. Some groups will do that, and it depends on what the electoral defeat looks like. Um, and what the political landscape uh, that is produced by that election looks like. Um, so, you know, electoral defeat can really spell a temporary loss. We're like, okay, what we have to do is focus on the next electoral cycle. Um, but what often happens is that the uh, governance uh, system is still amenable to the second advocacy channel, which is lobbying. So electoral politics gets people elected, lobbying. Whoever's in the government, whoever occupies the legislature, the executive branch, and the judiciary, those people are uh, the target of lobbying. And what we will look at in this class is what lobbying looks like and means in each of these three different areas of governance, each, in each of these uh, government domains, right? Lobbying the legislature looks very different than lobbying the executive, looks very different, very, very different from lobbying the judiciary. Um, so. You know, let's say that you are a, uh, your interest group is in favor of reproductive rights. And uh, the um, last couple of election cycles have not been good for uh, um, the people who would want to appoint and support 
uh, pro-choice judges, and so there's not a lot of pro-choice judges, there's more pro-life judges around, that's going to be a taller hill to climb, but there are still ways to lobby the judiciary with some hope of success. So electoral politics is uh, really very important because you would rather have uh, people who are on your side in the government than not people who are on your side. Um, but even if, even if you get people on your side, you still have to lobby them to make sure that they fulfill their promises, to make sure that they put your interests at the top of their agenda. Right? Because let's say that the Democrats uh, win the White House and take both houses of Congress uh, after the 2020 elections. Let's say that, that happens. That's an electoral success for interest groups that support the Green New Deal. But is the new president, is the new Congress going to put the Green New Deal at the top of their agenda, or are they going to put it second or third or fourth, right? Like, what's going to be at the top of the agenda? Um, when you win an electoral victory, the next task is to lobby to make sure that your policy preferences get as close to the top of the agenda as possible, and that they actually get acted on, not just a little bit, but in ways that you, that you would really like to have, right? So you want to have your policy preferences at the top of the agenda, and you want to have the people who are in office supporting a strong version of your policy preferences rather than a watered-down version, right? And electoral success doesn't necessarily guarantee policy success. Obviously, you would rather win elections than lose them. So that is definitely not irrelevant. That's one of the reasons why electoral politics is such an important arena for interest group activities. So there's those two areas, electoral politics and governance. And within governance, there are three different domains, legislative, executive, and judicial. We're going to look at all four of these areas in detail in the second and third weeks of class. Um, the other avenues of advocacy are, um, one, collaboration with other interest groups. I've defined democratic politics as a struggle uh, among interest groups for uh, pre uh, preferential policy outcomes. That is largely the dynamic that obtains in a democratic society between interest groups. But there are also all kinds of opportunities for collaboration. And one of the things that interest groups can do is they can build relationships. They can collaborate with groups that either uh, share their, their interests sort of, or they can share resources uh, and push for something where like you know, one group wants greater environmental regulations, another group wants uh, police reform. And those two groups don't have the same interests, but they can work together to, one, get people elected who are uh, favorable to both of those things, right? Um, uh, and two, when it comes to lobbying efforts, they can share resources and connections. They can share mailing lists. They can share activist energy. Uh, so one of the things that interest groups do to succeed in politics is outside of politics, they attempt to, whenever possible, build collaborative relationships. Uh, among other interest groups. When your interests overlap, or when your interests actually align in ways that they don't conflict with each other, those create the possibilities for collaboration. Um, the other big thing that interest groups do that is uh, indirectly political is they go to work on public opinion. One of the things that makes lobbying efforts and electoral uh, politics uh, more uh, you get more success in lobbying and in electoral politics is if the public opinions on your side. Um, if you want gun control regulations, you want high level of public opinion in support of those, right? So one of the things that, that interest groups do 
outside of the official arena of politics is they go to work on public opinion. And uh, this is a very abstract thing, and it's a very, it, it actually, much like electoral politics doesn't give you a guarantee of success in getting your policies enacted through the system of government, getting favorable changes in public opinion doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win elections and doesn't necessarily mean you're going to succeed in your lobbying efforts. And so its sort of distance and indirectness and abstractness makes it not really a major avenue for interest groups. But you would, as an interest group, you'd always rather have public opinion be strong on your side and potent enough that people in the government are listening to that particular issue. Right. right now, the public cares a lot about policing and health care. And so because public opinion is very strongly focused on those two areas, people in, the system, in systems of government are either listening to those concerns and trying to, to, uh, to uh, produce action on those concerns, or they're risking uh, serious defeat in the next, the next election. So uh, to the extent that you can actually move public opinion, strengthen it, and move it into uh, a higher level of uh, uh, importance and energy um, in a way that aligns with your interests, then you're going to have greater success. But that's not direct politics. The, mainly what interest groups are doing is they're working in electoral politics and they're lobbying legislatures, executives, and the judiciary. They're also, to support those efforts, working on collaboration when they can and trying to influence public opinion to be stronger in their direction and more intense on their particular issue. So that's what interest group advocacy is, is all about. It's targeted to the four domains of politics, elections, legislative activity, executive activity, judicial activity, and then it's, uh, there is sort of in a secondary fashion, there is this attempt to build uh, collaborative relationships as well as to move public opinion in a direction that will provide the background conditions that increase the likelihood of success. Um, if you could choose, though, to succeed in only one of these areas instead of in all of them, which most interest groups have to make tough choices, um, the, if, if you could either win an election or move public opinion, you would want to win an election because that's more directly impactful of who makes the, the decisions. Right? Like, you can amp up public opinion in a huge way. If that doesn't translate into electoral victory, it really doesn't do you that much good. Right? If 90% of Americans are supportive of common sense gun regulations, but um, that we don't get a lot of elected officials who are gung-ho about passing common sense gun regulations, then moving public opinion in that direction doesn't really benefit you that much at all. You're, you're much better focusing on winning elections. And if you could choose between winning elections and effective lobbying through the judiciary, then you would choose effective lobbying through the judiciary because the judiciary actually decides certain policy outcomes, as we'll see in the ensuing weeks. So that's uh, interest group advocacy. In the political realm, it's much more directly uh, effective than sort of in, these, in the way of collaboration or moving public opinion. But all of these are ways that interest groups attempt to advocate for their preferred policies. Okay, in the next lecture, we're going to look at the keys to success. What gets certain interest groups uh, their preferred policies enacted, or at least some version of their preferred policies, uh, and what uh, creates obstacles to achieving that ultimate goal. That's what interest groups want. They want their policy preferences enacted. What leads to success and what leads to failure? Next, next video will show.